Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined by Ariel Michelli. Hey, Ariel, thank you so much for coming on again. Hey, Leo. How's it going? Good. It's been a really long time. Like we were saying before the recording. Yeah, I think it's been two years. Whatever was the 360 item that we physically went to last. The last real one? Two years yeah, ago? The yeah. last real one. Yeah. <laughs> so two years? Yeah, two years. Yep. No. 2019. Three years. That's three years? 2019, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, two years. Jeez, oh, Pete's. So how do you think it went? I think you did a great job at your talk, by the way. Thank you. I think it went great. I love doing talks so much. And you've seen me on stage. Uh, stage is my friend. The stage is my friend. And so when John said, if you're not coming, you should record a talk. And then said you should maybe pre-record it because maybe the internet is not going to be great. I'm like, oh, that's like cheating. I don't want to do that. I like doing live. And the more I thought about it, the more I remembered that in my last talk, not real one at iDev at 2020, there was a lot of chatter on Slack that I couldn't really attend to because I was doing the video. It's like, you know, that could be a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I prefer to do a pre-recording, but I also, I'll be honest, it's probably more work for me to do pre-recorded than live because then like, like we were saying, editing can take a while, but it's really good to to hear about competitor stuff, and we're going to be getting into that today. Oh, thanks. And getting an update. Anything you picked up from 360 IDEV, from any of the talks? Any trends that you see? I mean, IDEV is always, there's just so much stuff going on. I love all the talk. I love the theoretical, more theoretical stuff, like Mike Lee's talk. I really love Mike Lee's talks because there is the how to do stuff that you can get very technical on, how to write code and some examples. And then you, had a, you have the how to business stuff, that I, the kind of stuff that I do. And then you have Mike Lee at a totally different league where everything just becomes uh, so much more interesting. So I really like the theoretical stuff. It's, it's the kind of stuff that gets you thinking. I think that I would love to see more of that and really everywhere I go, the kind of stuff that you think to yourself, hmm, you know, I didn't think about it that way. And you can do it with code and you can do it with the kind of marketing and business stuff. But IDEV is just full of, of such a good range. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think videos should be up by the time we post this episode. And if I could post our videos and likes, I'll do that in the show notes. So stay tuned for that. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, let's get into it. There's a lot of new stuff in the App Store this year from WWDC. Do you want to get started talking about what you thought was the biggest thing? I know what my idea is of the biggest thing, but I'll let you I'll let you take it away. Well, if it's not A/B testing, then we're in the wrong in the wrong podcast. Yeah, it's, it's A/B <laughs> testing. Yeah, but seriously, and you know, it's funny because I remember asking you about it. Either it was in our last episode or it was in one of your talks. I'm like, how the heck are you supposed to be doing A/B testing? And I'll be honest, your your answer was like, okay, I guess that works. Where where it was like you have to build a fake web page that kind of looks like the app store and, and do it that way. And I was just like, okay, like if that's what you got to do, it doesn't seem like, seems like cheating, but like now they actually gave it to us. Yeah. It's worse than cheating if you ask me. And that's why a lot of developers <laughs> that asked me, I was like, well, you can do it that way. It doesn't mean you should. <laughs> it's also, how do you drive traffic to a page that is a completely fake that you built that you're hosting? You have to run ads. So you're spending money on people that will come and see your app and hit a button, and then get taken to the real app store, and they're going to think to themselves, hmm, shady, not doing that. So you're kind of hurting your brand on the one side, and on the other, you're paying a lot of money for it, and you're not getting it back for the sake of experiment. And, you know, a big company like Uber or Google, they have to do this sort of thing. But for most mere mortals, most regular developers, 
it makes it very um very challenging to accept and that's why i'm really glad apple is doing this it's it's going to be incredible it's going to be a totally different experience in the app store and i think the end users are going to really enjoy this the most because they're going to get the kind of thing that they want to see as opposed to what the developer wants to show, which has always been my big thing. Developers want to show what they want to show, and it doesn't always sell the best. So by doing A-B testing, they'll eventually get to a point where it's so much easier, more easy, easier to get what the user wants. Should I explain what A-B testing is or do you want to? I will gladly explain what A-B testing is. I actually started a new series of AF Chats, which is my version of this video podcast, where we host experts from the industry, either from different companies or agencies or developers that are doing this to explain what A-B testing is and give examples. And we just had an expert on the show last week, I want to say, and he gave a bunch of examples and they were amazing. We're going to get that video up and uh, I'll glad to give you a link to it so you can share that as well. Yeah, those AF chats are fantastic. I watched the one you did with Joe Chaplinsky and talking about like all the App Store stuff from WWDC. I'll post a link to that one too. But that was like really, really informative. I really like that one. I'm glad to hear we do that yearly at this point. It's become a tradition. (laughs) But yeah, A-B testing, like it's not, we've talked about this before, like how developers don't like marketing and stuff. But (laughs) A-B testing, it's like, it is the way to go to figure out what the heck is going on because like it's a good way to give you sign like actual numbers and metrics as far as this thing this logo works this text works well first of all i guess i'm not clear what can you ab test in the app store page now so you can you'll be able to test the icon and the screenshots and videos if you have any so maybe the viewers get a another way of looking at ab testing maybe even outside the app store I have been A-B testing emails for a long time because when you send an email, especially if you have a big enough newsletter or mailing list, how do you know which subject is going to be the best? I mean, you can guess, and I've guessed for years, and I always felt like I could be missing out and maybe I'm not putting, you know, I, I work so hard on the content of our newsletter. You know, the wrong subject is going to make less people see it. And so A-B testing, you can send two options to a small number of people, see who opens more, and then use that for everyone else. And that's exactly what's going to happen in the App Store. When people come into the App Store page, they can see either one set of screenshots or another. And then after enough time, you can see which one converts more, meaning which one people interact with more. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think it's something we should all be taking advantage of Absolutely, uh, sooner free. rather than later. Yeah. It's free. I know, right? <laughs> well... Whatever, they get their $100 developer fee and their 30% cut. So let's not, it's not that free, but it's it's pretty much free otherwise, I guess. If you're already in the App Store, then you're already paying the 30% and the 100 So A-B testing is something you should do. It isn't free because you have to spend time building more assets, designing more screenshots, thinking about what's going to work better, what's going to work, what, what you think will work better. So there is some effort that you need to put into it, but it's nothing considerable in my opinion. What are some mistakes that developers get into when they get into A-B testing that they think, where should you be spending your time on as far as like getting good A-B testing and actually getting some good data from it? So A-B testing is all about experimenting. And uh, on my newsletter and in my content that I write, I always say that the experimental mindset is really the thing that's going to help you win. So I think with A-B testing, you have to approach it with Not exactly expectations, but more theories. So instead of saying this blue button is going to convert better than this green button, you have to say, 
do I even need a button? Let's test. And you start with the things that are most obvious, like button versus uh, link, let's say, or some other visualization. And then you continue and refine them. So the mistakes that I've seen and, and talked to people about really have to do with, you think you know what's going to work. And so everything you design and, and everything you produce, all the tests are really, really narrow. And so ultimately, you're not really testing anything significant or substantial. And so your results are not necessarily going to be meaningful. Meaning if you just test a color, maybe it's going to help, but maybe a tiny bit. Maybe you have to test putting a caption somewhere else underneath or, or above your screenshot or using different fonts. So think big. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Change everything and whatever works, refine it. That would be my advice. Yeah. Okay. So the app store, like maybe you're thinking like change the app icon completely and then see which app icon does better. What kind of screenshots with the thing? Well, I wouldn't want to get into the, the other app stores. We'll get into that later, but yeah, there's certain restrictions on what you could put in screenshots, but yeah, figure out which one to use is probably going to be super helpful. Absolutely. Uh, I think, and that can make or break an app and I've seen apps and I go through this when I do app teardowns, I see how developers are making very obvious mistakes that if you just change one little thing, you'll tell a better story with the screenshots, you'll convert better, you'll get people to understand what your app is about. Because ultimately, I think one of the problems that every non-marketer does when they head into marketing is they start in the middle. They don't think about a user may not know who you are at all, what your app does. It's kind of like us talking about A-B testing without explaining what A-B testing is. If you say, well, most of my users know what A-B testing is, what about the one person who doesn't? Now they're completely lost. You ever read the book Made to Stick by the, uh, gosh, those two brothers? They talk about like one of the things, if you want an idea to stick, is to make sure it's like people understand what you're talking about. And they did a little experiment where people would like knock on the table different songs and like people were like, what the heck are you doing? And like <laughs> the person who's knocking knows what song it is. And, but like to another person, it sounds like a noise. And I feel like, yeah, we're such in this headspace that we think we know, we know everything, but we don't know how little the audience knows about what we're building. And like that we have to be clear about that from their perspective. That's like what they say about what happens when you assume. I think that's uh... a... <laughs> <laughs> I think people, I hope people know that one. Jeez. I don't know if that, that one is for the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I've been thinking about lately is are there steps when you have an app idea that you should do before you've even written a single line of code that involve ASO? Oh, absolutely. The thing is, <laughs> there's so many apps, right? And there are so many apps that do so many things. Some overlap, some don't. Some are similar, some are not. But ultimately, if you have an idea that you want to do well, it's going to take some effort, some serious effort, most likely, to compete with those other apps. So before you go in and invest that effort, it's always best to validate the idea, which means, one, to see if it makes any sense, if people actually care about this sort of thing, if they need this sort of thing, and then to see what sort of expectation can you set about revenue, downloads, growth, meaning, is it going to give you your money back? Is it worth the effort? Now, I know some developers are thinking, no, 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 I'm going to do this app and everyone is going to love it and I don't even need to worry about it. It's just going to happen. It doesn't. So it has it for a while. Yeah, exactly. For uh, how long has the app store been around? 12, 13 years. So for 13 yeah. years, 12 and a half years. Yeah. 12 so, and a half years. It's, it's always about validating the idea. And I, and I wrote a whole guide on how to do that step-by-step step, actually. 
and to go from first identifying what the market is, who are you even going to talk to, talk about, who are you going to compete with? Are there any competitors? Are there not? If there aren't any competitors, is that a sign that maybe this is not an interesting niche? And so all these things are things that I would do first thing before even starting an app. And there's actually kind of a hack on how to do it. What I do when I talk to a developer who has an idea, I immediately go into a tool we have called Keyword Inspector. And what that does is it gives you the search results from the App Store or from Google Play for any keyword that you type in. And it gives you an additional overlay of performance information. So you can see, in addition to which apps are actually being ranked, one, you can see it more succinctly. So it's easier to see the entire list and not just the top two or three. But also you can see how many downloads they're getting. And from there, you can easily see what kind of keywords they're using in addition to that keyword, how much money they're making, how many ratings they're getting. And so you can see all these different things. And so I go into that tool and I type in either the name of the app that the uh, person is trying to compete with or what the app does. So, uh, for example, I looked at the budget category. So I just typed in budget into Keyword Inspector and I saw Mint and I saw all these big names um, and I saw all these things that are happening. And from there, I'm st I can start to get ideas of, do I even want to be in this category? Number five gets, you know, 100 downloads a month. Is this even reasonable for me to spend my time on? Yeah, that's a good one. So I guess we'll get into it. What can we learn from competitors besides what keywords they use? The easy answer is everything. So the, the entire talk really covered the four different ways, and I'll run through them quickly. But before we even get into them, the, the idea that is that instead of just making up what you think is the best way to move forward, because you might be right. But unless you're super experienced and seasoned and you've done this a million times before and you have all these other apps and games successfully on the App Store making tons of cash, you may not have the best idea of what to do. And you have all these opportunities and options. And so you can spend time doing each and every one, which might take a lifetime. Or you can focus on the things that will really give you the most return on your investment. Your investment being your time or your investor's money or really anything else that goes into making an app or games succeed on the App Store. And this goes for Google Play too. They're pretty synonymous in this particular case. So um, the ideas that I have are, one, you can start by establishing a benchmark. And a benchmark is kind of like what we just said. It allows you to see what's going on, who are you up against, how much money, how many downloads, which gives you really two sides of what you need to know. One is, what do you need to know to break into this market? And two, what can you expect from this market? Can you really quit your day job with this crazy kooky idea that you have for an app or do you need to make 10 of them so that's establishing a benchmark and then beyond that you can see what kind of keywords they're using which will just save you a ton of time i was talking to someone on af chats from the bbc the guy who does the app store optimization for a bunch of different bbc apps his name is ian he's incredibly expert at what he does. It's quite amazing. And he's going to be in the future, in a future AB, um, AF chats about A-B testing to talk about seasonal A-B testing. And he basically said that he used Inspector and the competitor keywords tool to find a keyword that he may have thought about before, but never thought about using for their own apps. And he saw that a competitor was using it successfully. He started using it and download just went up, uh, kind of like magic. What was the one you were talking about, like gold? Somebody was using the word gold. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. 
I was just trying to remember from your talk. There was one keyword that they used that was just like oh that well not that's anything. The, that's it. Yeah. Um, Okay. I don't remember the actual keyword. It was uh, it was something similar to something they had already been using. It was like just an alternative way to say something specific. It's a kid's game. Doodle maybe versus sketch or something along those lines. I got to rewatch the the chat and I'll remember. One, one thing that's like interesting about this is like it's much more based on like numbers and metrics than instincts. That's one of the big problems is we like try to like oh yeah, this is the word we should be using. And what I like about your approach to it and like the approach that actually works is like, no, you need to like take your prejudices out of it and like actually look at the numbers and see what they tell, what story they tell you. And I think that's the key. There's also, uh, you asked about what's new with the App Store and A-B testing by far is the biggest change, but there are also a bunch of changes that Apple has not announced and are happening under the hood with how search works. And they're actually really, really substantial this year. Did you have like a new newsletter out about keywords and how those are changing? I did. Um, I do. So I started, I, I do a whole different things. I, I learn by doing things. I don't learn necessarily just from guides. And I write a lot of guides based on my knowledge. But I personally prefer to be able to look at things and say, why is it like this? And so I've been doing that with apps through App Teardown. So we look at an app, usually more popular apps, the bigger names, and trying to figure out why do they do what they do? Why did, they, why did Pandora use this particular keyword? Why is Spotify using this keyword? Why is Pandora more successful than Spotify? These sort of things. And we have a whole series on that. And we're in season four, um, and they're actually really cool, and people love them. But in addition to that, the question that I get all the time, usually from readers of the app Teardowns, is they type in a keyword into Inspector and say, I'm in number five, but I have more downloads and more ratings than number three. How is that possible? And usually that is associated with all these negative words that come up with how opaque the algorithm is and how it's all rigged. And, and everyone has all these ideas about why they're not successful, even though, you know, X. Um, so I started a new series called Keyword Teardowns, where we look at a keyword and we analyze why well, number one is number one, number two is number two. And I do it for the top five. And the insights from that are just, wonderful because you start to see all these new things that Apple is doing to the algorithm and you start to see how they change. So for example, one of the things that I have seen again and again and again is that keyword placement has become incredibly important. So where you put a keyword in the app's name or subtitle has more weight than how many new downloads you're getting. And that means that an app with fewer downloads or even no downloads, a brand new app can rank well if it knows how to do these things. Interesting. Okay. That's been changing considerably over the last, I want to say year. It's probably less than a year. It's probably about, I want to say maybe 2021. Apple never announces algorithm changes. And even if you ask them, they'll be like, no, we didn't change anything. <laughs> so all I know is based on looking at kind of the same data over and over. And I look at this data over and over, both for the newsletters and for, and now for the keyword analysis. And so the, the interesting bit is, so A-B testing is going to be really useful and it's going to help you with conversion. But ultimately to get found, you need to be able to use the keywords, the right keywords and in the right way. And in order to do that, you really have to understand placement and what I call keyword focus, which is really keyword density. Um, and there are all these little tricks and they're not tricks because Apple is programming in tricks. It's just how algorithms work, especially if you get into uh, into text text searches and, and text indices. Uh, that was actually my talk last year at iDev, where I said that App Store optimization is really a developer problem. It's an engineering problem. It's not a marketing problem. 
because you're working with a, a piece of code that someone at Apple wrote and you have to figure it out. And so that to me is almost as big as A-B testing. A-B testing, of course, gives us something we've never had before. But Apple really opening up the algorithm to more than just performance, meaning you can rank, even if you're right now, you're tiny, you have very little downloads. Um, that's incredible, I think. It means that every single app and game out there has a ton of opportunity. And that's what I'm trying to, to do with the keyword teardowns is show you, you being the developer of apps and games, how to take advantage of those new opportunities. And Every week we do something that shows us it's just a little bit different, but the patterns are still the same. Is the keyword the key, no pun intended, to getting your app uh, noticed? Or have you found that there's other ways that people get to your App Store page mm. outside of the App Store? If you get featured, that's really the other holy grail. And back five, ten years ago, that was the way, but it's a lot less now. And it's a lot more murky because so many apps get featured. Curation has added a lot of apps to people's phones. And so search has the biggest intent. Because if you think about it, someone types in what they want and you can provide that to them. Boom. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing I wanted to talk about, you mentioned in your talk, was the idea about analyzing your competitor's tech stack. Why? Oh, definitely not enough people do this. But you know what people ask me fairly often, more often than I thought that they would? They say, I want to introduce messaging into my app. Which SDK should I use? Should I build it myself? Or I want to introduce analytics. They use ask the you analytics. this? Yeah. But I know a lot okay. about a lot of things. I think that's, uh, so it makes <laughs> sense. We also have top SDK charts where you can see which SDKs are most popular across different types okay. of apps and also different platforms. And so it makes sense. I talked to journalists about this. There was a, a big piece in the Washington Post about this. Okay, okay, gotcha. And so um, the answer is, isn't necessarily which specific SDK, but it's also which ones are used in your industry most. So if you can look at the big apps and see which SDKs, which technologies they're using, one, you can do that for yourself. So you can say you can see what not to use. But the example that I gave at iDev, I think, had to do with shopping and augmented reality. And I think that's really a, a really good one because it becomes a competitive advantage. And so your app has features and some of those features may need a third party SDK. The problem is you might think, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I need these features. Maybe my users don't care. And when it comes to AR, augmented reality, I, for example, have never found a single shopping app that allows me to place something in my living room that was useful. Never. But the problem is if you have a shopping app and all of your competitors have this feature, you're going to have to introduce it just because you don't want to be the one app that doesn't have AR. It's just marketing. But then how do you do it? Should you do it yourself? Should you go third party? Should you go first party? Um, there are all these questions. And if you look at a competitor's tech stack, you can instantly just answer those questions. No need to think. Maybe, like, I guess the way I would see it is something like AR is not a feature of the app that you might use a lot, but it's a feature of the app that's shown in the App Store page. <laughs> also. If you get people into the door, so to speak, of the app, yeah. like, then you pretty much, you're good to go because then they'll start using the app, whether they use the AR feature or not. So, I, yeah, I could see how that works. Ultimately, I'm sure there's probably one app that has really great AR feature where I can point it in my living room and, and see whatever it is, the furniture that I'm buying, and it will look great. 
And if not, maybe in a year, that's going to be the case. So like you said, if you want to put that in your description or in your app store in a screenshot or something, because you know that it will convert, great. And then you can use A-B testing to see if it will convert. But that's a different thing. Advanced techniques. What I want to ask is, how does an indie approach to App Store differ from how a bigger company that has a known product or a known store, for instance, how do those different developer sets, and I know like the bigger company is going to have staff and more money, how should they approach posting their app to the App Store? I think ultimately it's the same. The differences used to be in what your level of knowledge would be. And I don't mean your level of skill as a developer or as a marketer, but it's more what you had access to. So we talk about competitor intelligence a lot. This is the entire uh, purpose of my talk and, and what we're talking about here. But up until not too long ago, this wasn't really feasible for most developers because it was too expensive or too complicated or required massively ugly uh, long-term contracts that as an indie, you're thinking, not really for me. And so those tools were not even available. Those ASO tools, tools like Inspector, they were a lot harder to get access to. And so as an indie, it seemed very daunting because one, you're kind of walking into a dark cave with no flashlight. And then you're thinking, what if I don't do that? And you start saying, I don't really know what I'm doing anyway. I can't see the improvement. I'm just not going to do it. And then you have companies that are big and have those budgets and they come in and they have so much visibility that they have this huge multiple flashlights when they come into the same tunnel. For them, it's not a question of uh, whether to do it or not. It's just a question specifically of which rock not to step on. And so now that you have the tools, um, I think as an indie, it's only a mindset switch between I can do this and I can get this flashlight and it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg. And it is going to be fairly easy. And I don't need to be a data scientist or have a data science team to do all of this. And it's going to be more around, okay, so how much time do I have to afford for marketing purposes? And that can be up to you. I answered that question on the video as well for iDev. And I said, it's really anything from an hour a week to a day a month. Any more would obviously be great, but you don't have to do all that. Even an hour every two weeks is going to be great. And again, that's because of the tools. So if you have tools that tell you what's going on, and for example, with App Store optimization, you can pop in all your keywords that you're optimizing for and see how the app is doing. And when something changes abruptly, you'll probably get an email, an alert that says, something did not work. So you don't have to follow this on a daily level. You don't have to wake up in the morning and say, what are my ranks? Am I doing well? And you can continue with everything else. And then you can watch it once a week with a little bit more detail. And then you'll be able to make those decisions. You can follow your competitors and see if they're doing anything significant, again, on the same sort of schedule. So to answer your original question, I don't think there's a difference now. There used to be, now there isn't. It's more a question of should you do it, should you not do it? And the answer should always be yes, in my opinion. Okay. So you had kind of a depressing thing in your email lately about the Mac App Store. <laughs> and But I also want to ask about the other App Store as well, the one that I de- developed for, and that's uh, Apple Watch. We're talking about, okay, how do I get my app noticed, right? And it's like, it's really difficult to get your app noticed from both of these app stores as opposed to finding like other alternative ways of getting people to see your app. Like, first of all, are they, uh, I mean, are they still pretty irrelevant? And like, are there better ways to market those apps and get people to notice those apps? Oof. 
Those are big questions. So I wouldn't go as far as saying irrelevant because I think that's a really big word, but ultimately they're way more difficult. And that was also kind of my point with the Mac App Store. So the article you're referencing is one that I wrote last week in our newsletter where I looked at the trend of new apps, new Mac apps being released. And not only was it significantly lower than on the iOS app store, the phone app store, uh, it was also going down. So we're down to, I think, 200 new apps that are released, were released in, uh, in August, down from maybe 280 the month before, something like that. And that was down from maybe 300 earlier in the year. And so we'll get to this point where just no one cares about the Mac app store. And I think just like we were saying before with establishing a benchmark and, and doing some discovery before you enter, if you look at the data, you'll see that there aren't enough people who are getting into the Mac app store to download apps. And that kind of makes sense. If you think about it, you don't need to be in the Mac app store to download uh, desktop apps. And who's actually in the Mac app store to begin with? When I need an app for my, for my desktop, my laptop, I don't go into the Mac app store. I go into, I go to Google and I type what yep. I need. That's my search engine for apps. Right. And so my, my point was that if I hopefully see a future for the M1 chips being able to bring, the ARM chips being able to bring iPhone apps to the Mac app store, and I think they're going to be like cool little widgets that I can have on my screen and do all these little things as opposed to having to use my phone for the things that I still use my phone for, even though I'm typing on my laptop. But if no one cares about the Mac App Store because no one's developing for the Mac App Store, can that actually happen? And the answer, in my opinion, is no. Apple would have to do something significant. So I kind of feel the same way about the watch. I think the watch is great. I love my watch, but it's not where I start to find the specific yeah. watch app. I would start somewhere else. So I would say go somewhere else. And that somewhere else is probably Google. So figure out how to get into what would a user see on Google, what a user would see on Google and get there. And you'll see that there are forums. I actually have a, a, a guide on that too, but there are forums. There are other ways where you can share your app with others and in a way that will promote it. One of my neatest tricks is actually if you write guides on how to do what the app does, which doesn't apply to all apps, obviously, you will get more people who will get to you via Google. And that's how you can really direct them towards the Mac App Store, the Watch Store, anything else. And another hack you can do is you can have an app that does something that also has a watch app. Obviously, that's a totally different thing and it's big, but yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing I've thought about is whether I have an independent, well, I have a couple of independent watch apps like that don't have an iPhone component and like to improve AC, ASO, like one of the things I've thought about is building an iPhone component that barely does much of anything. And like, yeah, that's something I've thought about. It's like something I'm weighing is like, okay, is it worth the time to build yeah. this whole iPhone app component just for that? Whereas like, do I spend more time on the SEO part of it and, and getting the app noticed by the audience that uses it? It's always that. The other thing is if you can get the current users to spread the word, that's how you can get more love. Word of mouth is great. A lot of people say don't rely on word of mouth for promotion, but you should, if you can get it, why not? In addition to everything else that you do. Yeah, exactly. You spoke about like, is it important to always have a website or domain for your app? Absolutely. 100%. Because of that Google component, the thing is, it's all about intent, right? So if someone needs something, whatever that something is, it can be what your watch app does or what um, our service does or really anything. That's the kind of thing that they could be searching for on the App Store and Google Play, but they might also search for on Google. So you want to have 
the opportunity to present your service, your app in front of them, even if they're not technically on the app store. And that's where a website would come in, come in very handy. But you would suggest having your own site for the app, not just have like the domain forward to the app store page. No, I, I think no one is really expecting that when they're clicking a link to a website. Right, right. Yeah, so I guess it like kind of depends on the intent of your audience. Do you think they're going to Google your product, like what your product does, or are they going to go right to the app store and like search for the product that or whatever they're doing? And depending on that, you may want to prioritize either the app store page or the or the SEO. I guess is what you're kind of saying. Yep, in a way. Now, there's another thing that Apple announced for iOS 15, and that's custom product pages. They eventually said they released this actually next year, not this year. But custom product pages are going to be your way, our way, of modifying the way the app looks from different links. So I think it's going to be really, really useful. So if you're bringing people in from your website, you can focus on one thing, whether it's um, something that the website shows, or maybe you know that people who come from the web have a different expectation. And you can do that with testing, just test different things until you see what clicks most. And the same thing for the App Store. If you know that the intent is just a little bit different, you can customize the page. And Apple is going to give us up to 35 pages, which is way more than I think anyone will be able to use. And so that's going to be very useful. So if you're thinking about traffic coming from Twitter, they can see a slightly different web, uh, a slightly different app page versus traffic coming in from Facebook because maybe the people who go on Facebook react differently or people who go on Twitch are obviously different than people who come in from other places. And you can take advantage of that with custom product pages. So those are going to be awesome. But in 2022. So are there any other trends you're seeing in the apps and the app store long term over the next year or so? Like, obviously, we've we've seen big changes with COVID had, had its changes with the popularity of streaming services. But what do you think are some like big long term trends as far as apps over the next year that will be doing particular things or features that are just going to be really hot, uh, like widgets were uh, last year or something like that? It really depends on how much time we have for this recording, because I have enough thoughts to fill probably six episodes. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you the gist. So there are two things. There's one thing that I talk about in my This Week in Apps newsletter, where I do news, a recap of news from the App Store, and that is the shift towards everything is starting in app. So it used to be that there's an app for that, the, that statement from a few years ago that it, everything was saying. But now everything starts with the app. The app is the first thing. It's not for something. We start with the app and we can see that. I looked at the downloads for uh, for electric scooter rentals and you can see how changes in that are, in, are changing really how people are commuting. So you can use that as a proxy to say, well, people no longer really need long-term travel or cars or, or things of that nature as much because one, we're stuck at home. Two, we need short distances. We're not carrying anything. And you can see that really come across everything. And you mentioned streaming, and that's really the same thing when you think about it. If you look at streaming trends, something I look at more often than I think our readers want, you can see that it's more about people are expecting this content now. And it's mm -hmm. not just about having access to something. It's becoming the way of consuming content. And so yeah. you have that on one side. You have all those rivalries that are happening between HBO Max and Disney Plus and, and Tubi and Peacock. And I think because there's so much money being spent on them, 
you know that there's a purpose. It's not just happening because they feel like it. And so my, my vision for the future is everything will begin with an app and eventually extend to the real world. You can see that with how fitness apps are moving from apps you use at the gym to apps you use at home or apps you use in addition to a personal trainer now becomes your personal trainer and they're becoming more and more popular. So I, I foresee that happening. And I think if to cut a whole bunch of words, that will lead to more apps charging by subscriptions because more apps will become so integrated into our lives that in order to develop them, you need to maintain some sort of a business model that will give you money. And I think users are getting used to this. And so all of those together, I think, mean that developers will continue to pump more into making and maintaining apps and users, end users, people will consume them. And that's going to be how a lot of interactions start. And from that, you can go IRL, but maybe you won't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that a lot as well, as far as like getting started, everything is in the app. One more question before we close out. So there was that proposed settlement presented by Apple. Is AppFigures looking to broaden the ingesting and transaction data from other payment providers such as Stripe? Absolutely. We've been working on that for a while, so that's going to be available. But that's a slightly even different trend. So everything that happened with Apple in the U.S. ended up not being what most people wanted it to be. And so there's not going to be an easy way to bring Stripe into your app in a way that Apple will like it. But in Korea, they just passed a law that Apple and Google will be forced to do that. And I started looking into the data. I don't have all the figures yet, but it's definitely going to be interesting if it actually inevitably happens. It's possible that Apple and Google find a way to undo this with enough lobbying power or magic. But if it does, then you have this this kind of like weirdness where now... It, instead of giving Apple 15% or 30% and same for Google, you could probably get away with maybe 7%, 6%. And I bet you there's going to be one SDK that's going to make it so simple. It will feel just like you're using the App Store and it will make it very integrated for users. And it's just basically going to emulate what Apple does. It has to. Why wouldn't you use it? Thank you. Thank you for the segue for our next guest. So yeah, next episode, we'll have Andy on from Revenue Cat. So we'll, we'll definitely be asking them about Aha. that. Uh, Uh I think that's a very interesting trend that would also happen. And from my perspective, think about the data. So now the data is becoming in multiple places. If you're in Korea or if you are implementing a slightly different version of your app in Korea to save money, you're going to get downloads in one place, uh, payments in some other place. Maybe you can have multiple payment providers in the future and you can use them just like you use ad networks to have more or less revenue depending on the time of day. I don't even know. And so there's going to be a lot of opportunity at the same time, I think some confusion, and I have no idea what that's going to end up doing to users who may now fall into like the pit of scams and some other problems. And who do you go to when you paid an app some money and they don't want to give it back to you because, you know, Apple doesn't control that anymore and you can't just go and get it back. So there's going to be a lot of, a lot of questions. There is benefit to like Apple being the one that you purchase the app from. Absolutely. And like, you know, the, 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 as much as some of the arguments aren't great, like I do think there is an argument to be made that people trust Apple when they buy an app through there. Absolutely. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Anything else you want to talk about before we close out? How much time do we have? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) More trends. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll have links to your material, obviously, in our show notes. Sounds good. 
whatever else there is, you definitely want to check out AF Chat's keyword takedown and teardown, excuse me. And what else? What other? You're putting out so much content now. I know. I have a newsletter. I have a podcast now. The podcast is uh, is slowly taking off. So that's great. So if anyone wants to hear my voice every Friday around 4 p.m., subscribe to This Week in Apps on all the podcast places. But I share as much content as I can because I want to share all the wisdom that I have. So kind of like even out the playing field. Now you make better apps. I, I don't want crappy apps to succeed because they know how to use <laughs> keywords. That's my yeah. intention. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ariel, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Yeah, this was fun. Besides appfigures.com, uh, where else can people find you? Appfigures.com is the best way. Uh, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll get my emails very quickly. And I'll have your Twitter in the show notes oh, yeah. below. And a uh, YouTube channel too, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Cool. Thank you again. Folks can find me on Twitter at Leo G. Dion. My uh, company is Bright Digit. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, take some time to post a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to. Please subscribe and like. And I look forward to talking to you again. Bye.